Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight. Uh, We are your hosts. Harry Thomas, former ambassador. And I am Alex Morales, the chief. Harry, who do we have today, please? Today we have Congressman-elect Mondaire Jones from New York, who is the newest elected Democrat to Congress. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to, to be with you today. And Uh, We are at the end of the first installment of new member orientation, and and it has been uh, quite a surreal experience. Uh, It it seemed like just the other day, uh, I never imagined uh, that I could be in Congress, and and here we are. Well, we we congratulate you, and actually, I'll have to say there, your grandmother will be stoked. So... Uh, you are you are the American dream, sir. Thank you, thank you. I see you've seen my my first digital ad, my first campaign ad from approximately November of 2019, uh, where at the very end they said, "How would your grandmother feel uh, if you if you were to win this election?" And a year later, my grandmother is indeed stoked. Like I said a year ago, that's awesome. Well, that is awesome, and grandmother and mom did a great job. So please tell us, tell our listeners about our newest congressperson. Uh, well, I, I so appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you know, m- my story is quintessentially that of the American dream. I grew up in Section 8 housing and on food stamps, and I was raised by a young single mom who, like so many incredible women throughout my district, which includes parts of Westchester County and all of Rockland County. Uh, And like so many incredible women all throughout this country still had to work multiple jobs just to put food on the table for us, even while receiving government assistance. And it's why I say that I'm in Congress because for me, policy is personal. You know, the, the, the fight for a $15 minimum wage at the federal level is one that is personal for me because I know it's a need that exists based on my firsthand experience. And of course, my mom got help raising me from my grandparents. My grandfather was a janitor and my grandmother cleaned homes. And when daycare was too expensive, she took me to work with her. So when people like Elizabeth Warren at the DNC convention talk about investing in childcare as infrastructure, uh, that's a, a, a need I know to exist and a fight I wanna join when I get sworn in in, in a month from today. Uh, based on not wanting any kid to have to go through what I went through when I was growing up. Wow. It is amazing to hear your story because it, it, it really, really represents the American dream when if you push hard, anything's possible. And, and that is amazing, sir. Uh, can, Can you please tell us about what work those rising leaders do? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I am proud to have co-founded with some good friends from college a nonprofit organization called Rising Leaders. And we teach professional skills to underserved middle school students in three American cities in, in Harlem and Washington, D.C. and Seattle. 
and I say we, uh, despite having uh, left the board when I, when I ran for Congress, uh, because I still feel attached to the incredible work that the organization has been doing. Um, you know, we, we meet once a, uh, once a month with middle school students. Uh, we teach financial literacy. Uh, we, we help people navigate the, 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 the process of applying uh, to specialized high schools, which, which you have to do in New York City. Uh, and, we, you know, we, we teach professional skills like uh, how to do your elevator, your elevator speech, your elevator pitch, uh, and, and we have job fairs. Uh, it's a tremendous experience. We teach um, entrepreneurship, problem solving. Uh, these are really substantive uh, seminars that you don't get in the normal course of attending middle school, typically. Oh, wow. That's impressive. That is, that is very cool. Well, thank you. As a graduate of Brooklyn Tech, I hope that you're able to continue to send, send kids there. Uh, <clears throat> the NAACP is a state organization. Uh, Cornell Brooks is a really close friend of mine uh, from <laughs> years ago. But what was it like to be on the national board of directors of a very state organization at 19? You know, I got my start in politics when I was a freshman at Spring Valley High School when I saw how difficult it was to pass a public school budget in what's known as the East Ramapo Central School District. And what I did was I organized my classmates and worked with adults in the community uh, to, uh, after reactivating the Spring Valley NAACP Youth Council, register folks to vote and got out the vote. By the time, just a few years later, I was 19 years old, I got the chair of the National Youth Work Committee, which is a committee on the National Board of Directors for the NAACP. Uh, and it was a an honor, obviously. Um, it was also a, a major learning experience for me. Uh, I, I got to see national politics up close and personal. Uh, and I got to develop my own political skills. Um, you know, forging coalitions, uh, dealing with sometimes very difficult, uh, not always uh, predictable personalities. <laughs> And, uh, and of course, the tension between the generations represented on the board of directors, because there, there were a number of youth board members, uh, was at times palpable. And uh, I think, as with other organizations, uh, when, uh, you know, you increasingly have members of my generation, uh, younger people joining, uh, that that requires negotiation. Uh, and sometimes it can be frustrating. Uh, other times when you're able to arrive at the same conclusion, um, it, it can be really rewarding. And so I, I would describe my experience on the board as, as, as rewarding, ultimately, uh, and instructive. Wow. Wow. If, if I can, because uh, I, it kind of intrigued me what you were talking about, about rising leaders and all the the, the skills that you were teaching. And, and it was funny because uh, we just finished a graduation of leadership for girls. Uh, they were minority Hispanic and Harry was one of our uh, uh, guest speaker. And one of the things that we were facing is, is the same thing that you were talking about, teaching them skills, financial literacy, uh, uh, professional uh, empowerment and, and, and skills that, that was transferable for the future. And it's amazing how when they started to the end, how, how they 
how the transformation once they see the light. So thank you for what you're doing, sir, in, in that part. Thank you. Um, I want to I take and uh, see, ask you to say, how do you plan to make healthcare a right and not a privilege or your thoughts on that, sir? You know, this is personal for me. I watched as my grandmother had to work well past the age of retirement just to pay for the high cost of prescription drugs and medical procedures that are not fully covered by Medicare as we know it. There is only one healthcare policy that would ensure that everyone in the United States of America, the richest nation in the history of the world, has health insurance coverage. And that policy is called Medicare for All. It's not called a public option, as wonderful as that would be. Uh, it, uh, a public option would still not cover everybody. And under Medicare for All, uh, you would see healthcare coverage expanded to everybody. There will be no, no distinction between in-network and out-of-network. You could, uh, you, could, you could get treatment wherever you are in the United States of America. Your coverage would follow you. Uh, the cost of prescription drugs would be capped at $200 annually. Uh, coverage would be expanded to include dental and vision uh, and long-term care. Uh, and so it's, it's a wonderful policy that would also result in cost savings uh, because you would uh, <laughs> remove the ability of private insurers to artificially inflate the cost of care in this country. And so uh, the, way you, and you, the way you make healthcare truly a human right and not a privilege is to enact Medicare for all. Obviously, not everyone agrees with me on that. Uh, I remember when we couldn't even get a public option passed when I was part of the administration under Obama. Uh, and so, like I said, that would be a, a significant improvement upon the status quo. Okay. Uh, sir, you, you spoke about this earlier, uh, but reality is that the Senate is controlled by the Republicans. How do you plan to achieve the $15 minimum wage? It's going to be tough if the Senate continues to be controlled by Republicans. I have not given up hope that we will flip these two Georgia seats in the runoffs uh, in January. John Ostov and, and Reverend Raphael Warnock, who's just this tremendous leader uh, with a long history of service in his community. Um, we, we saw that the state of Georgia uh, can tilt blue in this presidential. <laughs> and, um, you know, my... My, my colleague, uh, Congresswoman-elect Nakima Williams, uh, refers to Georgia as battleground Georgia. <laughs> it, Georgia is now a swing state, and I think in a few years it'll be solidly a blue state uh, due to the, uh, the investments that we are making, not just every two years or every four years, uh, but throughout the year. Uh, led by incredible public servants like Stacey Abrams and her organization, Fair Fight. Uh, so I'm excited to do the work. I've been fundraising for those two individuals. Uh, I know that uh, people all, all across this country have been paying attention and, and also giving, and I would encourage anyone listening to do the same. Thank you. Great. Question, like $15 an hour, do you think that's enough? Sometimes I, I said that, you know, with the, cost, with, the, with the cost of living rising and bringing, you know, and especially in New York, I mean, I, I, you, you probably know more than I about New York, but uh, $15, I think, in New York don't go that far either. What no, do you think? it doesn't. And it doesn't go far enough in my district either, and, and which, 
is one of the most expensive places to live in the country, in Westchester and in Rockland counties. Uh, a $15 minimum wage would still be transformational, um, but what we need to be aiming for is a living wage. Okay. And, um, you know, the minimum wage has not changed in over a decade at this point. It's just shameful um, that it's still just a little bit over $7. Um, so if we, can, if we can more than double that right now, that would, be, uh, that would represent a tremendous stride. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say and find your frequency live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific time 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you are listening to the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief if you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the Spotlight. Welcome back to the Spotlight. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Great. Congressman Alet. As a small business owner myself, right, I always, uh, this has been a, a little bit of an ease, you know, the, the pandemic and, you know, and all this in the economy. COVID-19 has harmed small business in, in your district. The stimulus package is installed. How can you help them? You know, a few weekends ago, leading up to the election, I had the, the opportunity to be in uh, Peekskill which is a majority minority city in New York's 17th congressional district in, in Northern Westchester. And I met with this incredible, um, this incredible woman who is the owner of a beauty salon who told me that she had not been able to pay rent for seven consecutive months. Oh, wow. The PPP program has been a failure as it concerns small businesses in particular. Uh, it was a, a, a wonderful thought. It was a wonderful idea. Uh, but we have seen big corporations uh, disproportionately benefit to the great disadvantage of small businesses, uh, which are most in need of 
uh, relief from the federal government. You know, they don't have the kinds of special relationships with these banks that have been tasked with administering uh, these supposedly forgivable loans that large corporations have. And so I support Pramila Jayapal's Paycheck Recovery Act, uh, which would uh, more directly provide funding uh, to small businesses for the purpose of keeping their, uh, their employees on the payroll. So the payroll, basically for payroll only. Yeah, but also we need to be um, making sure that small businesses, uh, in addition to having funds to be able to, to pay their employees, which is a big deal for small businesses to, to have that additional resource, uh, are also able to cover the cost of, of rent. Uh, and, okay. and of course, this is fungible because, you know, if you, some of the, the small businesses are typically trying to figure out how to cover the cost of, 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 of rent and also the cost of keeping their employees on the payroll. So um, I think this will be a major benefit. And of course, um, I support continuing to do other things that impact small businesses like extending supplemental un- unemployment insurance benefits which will allow people to then go and patronize small businesses and keep those small businesses afloat. And small businesses can't remain open if they don't have customers who can afford to buy their goods. That's, that's, that's pretty, that's, that's actually the right, the right thought, I think, in my, in my opinion. But one of the things is, how can we make sure that the, the second stimulus, when it passed, benefits a small business and don't, happen again where big corporation take everything in small business. Uh, you, you, what do you think we should do? You, you pass the Paycheck Recovery Act, which is better than the PPP program. And I think, you know, that that should be included in the HEROES Act, ideally. Okay, great. Uh, sir, education was a difference in your life and Alex's and mine. Um, are there other ways you plan to improve it for your constituents? A public education was transformative for me. I I mean, it helped me to rise above those humble circumstances that I described earlier uh, and make it to Stanford University, work in the Obama administration, uh, and then attend Harvard Law School. And so I want every kid to have the opportunity to dream big and to achieve the American dream. And that starts with ensuring that every person in this country, every kid in America, as a quality public education, K through 12, and also I support uh, tuition-free public colleges and universities. Um, that means uh, at, at the K through 12 level, increasing funding under Title I, uh, which is for our most impoverished schools. Uh, it means uh, increasing funding under Titles II and IV, uh, respectively, uh, for training for our school administrators, uh, and to provide technological assistance. Uh, we, you know, we are, we are expecting people to distance learn right now, but many schools, including in my district, uh, in, in the school district where I attended school, um, K through 12, uh, don't have laptops or even internet access at home uh, for, for, for these students, which is something we just used to take for granted or, or have historically taken for granted in the modern era. Thank you for that uh Thank you for that. Of course, as a Columbia graduate and a, and a Yale senior fellow, I, you know, Stanford and Harvard. Uh, <clears throat> not, not, not where we are today, but that's okay. Everybody makes mistakes in their lives, and you're, you're improving now. 
Thank you. <laughs> Do you think that the court will overturn Oberfeld? So the Obergefell decision was a Supreme Court decision that finally recognized marriage equality. Uh, it is something that directly impacts me as a member of the LGBTQ community. You know, I'd like to marry the person I love at some point. Um, and, and so now that we have a 6-3 hyperpartisan conservative majority on the Supreme Court of the United States, and a majority of Supreme Court justices uh, would not have voted in the majority of that Obergefell decision, it is a really scary thought. Um, if, if, if you care about the rights, the civil rights and civil liberties of the LGBTQ community in this country, uh, as I do, you know, I'm part of a, a community that has to wait every June uh, to see whether the Supreme Court will extend rights to me that I should have gotten a long time ago or take away those rights. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't know the answer to whether the Supreme Court will do that, will overturn uh, marriage equality, but the fact that we're even considering it as a possibility means that we have to expand the size of the Supreme Court to unrig our democracy and to ensure that that we have a balance on that ins on that institution. Well, thank you for that uh, important answer. Uh, we have seen the black church evolve, the black community, the Latinx community uh, in this, and we sincerely believe you should be able to marry whomever you love. Alex, I'll let you take the last question, and then I will uh, thank the congressperson. Well, who are your favorite science fiction authors, sir? <laughs> My favorite sci-fi authors are Stephen King okay. and Christopher Pike. Yeah, when I was, uh, you know, growing up, I used to read uh, Christopher Pike novels, uh, which oftentimes were science fiction, though not always. Uh, and they were young adult novels. And, and, and I used to want to be a sci-fi writer myself. I used to uh, just sit at my computer and, and, and write novel-length stories um, and, and uh, just love the genre, still love sci-fi movies, and you know, hope, hope, to, hope to one day get back to doing some sci-fi writing. That is great. Well, the Ambassador-in-Chief would like to thank you and congratulate you, your grandmother, and your mother, on this wonderful achievement that we know is only possible despite the many challenges we face in our, our nation. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your constituents, and we hope to have you back again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. Welcome to The Spotlight. We are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas. And I'm the Chief, Alex Morales. Harry, who we have right now following out? Today we have Rear Admiral Michael Smith, uh, head of the National Security Leaders for Biden, who had had a distinguished naval career serving our nation and is working with many, uh, several nonprofit organizations, but most interestingly is his work uh, with President-elect Biden's campaign. Welcome to the show, Admiral. How are you doing today? Thank you for taking your time. I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me. It's just nice to be here. Awesome. Well, sir, can you please tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, please? I retired as a Navy Rear Admiral. Like the ambassador said, I was uh, my last uh, command, I commanded an aircraft carrier strike group out of Bremerton, Washington. Uh, I did a lot of strategy work in the Navy. I some of my, uh, my most memorable jobs, I worked as a, uh, running a small think tank for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff before I made Admiral, uh, okay. and uh, just had a, a great time. When I retired, I uh, founded a uh, nonprofit national security think tank in D.C. Awesome. That's great. Sir, t- tell us about the National Security Leaders for Biden. Well, it's a group of about a thousand members and volunteers. What it is, is we have uh, retired admirals and generals and senior enlisted. Uh, And we have senior spouses and we have national security leaders. So these are senior folks who were either senior executives or foreign service executives uh, or political appointees at the senior level. Uh, and it's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's independents. We all came together um, to do what we could to make sure that President-elect Biden uh, won the election. Great. Sir, wh- why did you decide to create that organization, if you could share it with us? You know, I, I felt that there was really a need to be able to counter the narrative that the Republican Party, and in particular, Donald Trump was putting out there that for some reason um, he captured patriotism, that somehow uh, he reflected the, the real interests in national security. And if you voted against him, somehow you were voting against America. 
And I knew uh, that there were many national security leaders that just absolutely disagreed and themselves had very distinguished careers defending our country, representing our country overseas. Many of them were ambassadors. And, uh, and I felt they needed a voice to advocate uh, for Joe Biden. And the Democratic Party doesn't really have that space. Uh, we don't generally in the past have created an, an area for advocacy. They tend to get into think tanks or you know, working groups. So I came to the Biden administration just after Super Tuesday, and I said, now that we're, it's clear he's, we're going to be in the general, I think we can create this group. Uh, and, and that's when we started to put this together. Awesome. Sir, one of the things we're really worried about is the transition. Can you please explain uh, to our listeners why this lack of a transition is harmful to our country? You know, this is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, the, the longer we delay the ability of the incoming administration to sit down and talk to the folks that are there today, the more we endanger our national security. And that's where I'm coming from. And I, but I also look at national security much broadly, I think much broader than perhaps we had, did you know, four, four years ago, uh, and now that we've all learned the impact of a pandemic. So you know, the response to COVID, I would include in there. And understanding uh, just a wide range of topics that and what relationships are going, what's the plan for COVID distribution and, and what are the challenges they've already foreseen and what are the relationships they have and, you know, all the way to national security and, and intelligence. And I think that there's no doubt that President Biden's team is amazing. If you take a look at who they put on their transition team and who, who they have ready to go, these are folks that are real professionals, real experts. They did this for you know, at least the eight years of the Obama administration. But a lot of stuff has happened in the last four years. A lot of relationships with the key allies have, in this case, probably deteriorated and really understanding where we are so that we don't have a 9-11 occur. You know, the 9-11 Commission specifically pointed at this and said, you know, the, the inability to have that detailed and deep transition between uh, – the outgoing Clinton administration and incoming Bush administration contributed to the, the challenges that, that ultimately resulted in 9-11. And we don't want it. We, we can't repeat the same problems. So there are so many issues that, you know, it's one thing. I don't have a problem personally with President Trump wanting to take whatever legal actions he wants. That's his right. Uh, but you don't hold up the transition. Let them start. If, if suddenly you find out it's different, take care of it later, but, but don't have a tantrum and prevent people from even talking because uh, at the end of the day, we're all Americans and somebody's going to be the president at the end of June. And right now it appears to be President-elect Biden. If, his, if he's successful and changes it, okay, but don't stop the process. It's just to me, it's just ridiculous. It is amazing because, uh, as, as you may know, you and Harry, Ambassador Thomas and myself, we sit abroad and uh, uh, we, we serve in different countries where we thought we considered them third world country. And here we are, <laughs> kind of <laughs> facing the same challenges that we saw abroad. Uh, saying that, you mentioned about our allies and partners. And what kind of message do you think this sent 
to the international community? Well, you know, I think that the Trump administration, you know, up until the election, I would have told you, and I, and I advocated this often during the campaign, that the Trump administration has, has undermined our relationships uh, with so many of our, of our strongest partners and our key allies. And it was just the, the way that, he, that this administration, uh, you know, made friends with, with the, the worst of the, the leaders and pushed away our friends. I, I thought it couldn't get any worse. But this is an embarrassment. I mean, this is, you know, we're the ones that, you know, you, you've seen the articles. If this were occurring in some other country, our State Department would be, be the one would be pointing this out like this can't, it can't be. I mean, I saw the Jimmy Carter's foundation, which goes and, and observes every other country, you know, all these unstable countries elections for the first time ever is monitoring the Georgia election results. I mean, this is crazy. This is not how America as a leader of the free world should be acting. Thank you, sir. Our retired flag officers, including Admiral Stravridis have criticized acting Secretary of Defense Miller's appointments. What are your thoughts? You know, my biggest concern is why did this happen? Um, it, and I can't answer that. Um, but there's a potential for this to be very dangerous. Uh, it could be absolutely nothing other than a very childish reaction by the president to, go, to be vindictive and go after all of these people that, that he feels were not loyal and didn't come, come to bat for him and I'm just going to fire you, as he has with many other people he, he got tired of. If that's all it is, well, it's, it's yet another embarrassment, but we can live with that. But it has the potential, again, adding to this turmoil and, and this, this process between the election and the inauguration just to add more uncertainty. But if it's nefarious and if he's done this intentionally so that he can implement practices and policies that, that he knows everybody else would have, his, his civilian leadership otherwise would have uh, prevented or certainly pushed back on, you know, then, then I'm more concerned, um, you know, and then it has potential to be really dangerous. So we just have to see what happens. You know, my group is, is sort of tracking that. And, we, and making sure that, hey, if something really dangerous starts to arise, the, the American people need to see this. Wow. But as a, I think you probably have my same feeling that I have faith that our military is sworn to the Constitution and nothing to, it will not put themselves to something nefarious. I, I truly believe that now. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, the, I believe without a doubt the Joint Chiefs of Staff like the, like the chairman said, you know, they, their oath is to the Constitution. And with that, we'll go take a short break and we'll read right back. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, 
career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. We're back in the spotlight with Real Admiral Michael Smith. Admiral, why are you a thousand plus member and volunteer focusing now? You know, uh, to tell you the truth, I thought we'd be done. But uh, <laughs> now that this delay is going on, I think our focus is on a couple of things. Um, ultimately, where we have, I believe, an expertise on is proper use of the military uh, and then what could go wrong uh, now that you've replaced so many leaders in DOD. So we're monitoring that. Um, thankfully, the amount of civil unrest has not gone in the, in the directions that some people predicted it might. Uh, I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the, the, the Trump supporters protesting. That's their, that's their right as well. And, and they have a right to go out there. Luckily, there haven't been a lot of clashes. So I think that we haven't really had to get involved in that area. So what we now are doing is we're transitioning to, look, enough's enough. Um, we need to get the American people uh, specifically con- the constituents of Republican senators to pick up their phone and call their senators and tell them to do what is right. So we're starting an op-ed campaign to focus on those states and to, to send the message that these senators, which we all know love our country just as much as anybody else, and they are in a very uh, very precarious situation with this president because 70 million people voted for him. So clearly he's a very powerful man in their party. But, but please, now's the time to, to talk to him and convince him to at least let the transition start. So that's what, that's what we're really focusing on is to, to try and do what we can. Again, we're Democrats, we're Republicans, we're independents to try and send the message to the American people, work with your senators and let's at least allow the transition to commence. Admiral, what foreign and defense policy priorities should we expect from the Biden administration? You know, I, I think that when you heard the, the president-elect talk during the campaign, the things that, that he was emphasizing get back to really respect, respect for our allies, respect for our our, our strategic partners, you know, it gets back to 
to bringing in experts and really trying to work together. So get back into the World Health Organization. Try and work together with all these other countries to really get our hands around COVID. Um, you know, the fact that the, that the mayor of Paris, you know, sends him a note on election day, sends President Biden a, a note on election day, you know, because he's going to come back into the Paris Accords. You know, I think that's what we need to do. Uh, I think also he's going to look at how we can get back into the nuclear agreement with Iran. Uh, Iran's a, 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 a challenging situation, but ultimately, um, we don't want them to develop a nuclear weapon. And I think that President Trump's administration walking away has actually endangered us and empowered uh, Iran to now feel like they can develop a nuclear weapon. So, it, you know, they, they've got a bunch of issues with Iran, but they were, if you just focus on nuclear weapons, at least we can address that one. So I think he's going to do a lot of positive things to reestablish our, really our leadership uh, and 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 re- resume the the position at the head of the table that we need to do because there's a lot of challenges out there. You know they're not going to go away. China um, first among them, and we need to be able to to work with our allies, work with our partners, address where the challenges. Uh, you know, and I really look forward to what are we finally going to do about Russia and how they've interfered with our elections. And by God, I hope on day one, I pray on day one, and I don't doubt he will, that President-elect Biden, you know, addresses the fact that Putin is, you know, funding those bounties or funded, according to reports, bounties on American soldiers in Afghanistan, that this president still has yet to address that is just, you know, criminal to me. So I think that the things that he is going to do from the very beginning are all about reestablishing American leadership, uh, which has just been fundamentally abandoned that position in the last four years. I, I think that's you, you just mentioned something important because I always argue, I always argued, you know, in the past four years, for example, where we were talking our partners and ally or international community, we always were talking to them uh, like they were inferior. You know, it was all about us and, you know, talking to them, not at them and not from, you know, and it, and I hope we go come back and, and, and start talking to our allies and partner with some respect and mutual understanding. Don't absolutely. you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of it, you know, it's part of the military experience, right? Every single individual provides value. You know, you just got to figure out what that is. And you got to work with those individuals on what that value is. No in person can't contribute. And it applies as well to countries. So, yeah, they may not be as blessed as we are with the, with the natural resources we had that, that allowed us to develop into this amazing country. But whoever they are, they have something. They're bringing something to the table. And you don't just turn your back on them and say, you're, you're inferior to us and we're not even going to talk to you and it's America first, America only. No, but we're the leader, but we embrace everybody else and we work with them. And, and it is true. Together, we can accomplish so much more. I mean, look at what we did at in, in, in all these different conflicts, we, we, we don't go into a conflict by ourselves. There's always a partner with us. And, and I look forward to, to the team that President Biden is going to bring together. They get that. They understand that. They are true 
experts, and it's time for the experts to come back to the table. Thank you for that, sir. Uh, Turning to a different subject, I think it's important for our listeners to know how great power competition works and why it's important to our nation's future. You know, I think that uh, at the end of the day, there are countries, and certainly China is foremost among them, that uh, feel that they have an inherent right to reestablish their dominance. Um, you know, I always said, there, to me, it, you can rebalance the Pacific and accept that China is the number two economy in the world. And certainly if you have that type of economy, you're going to have a strong military. And, and you can accept that that table is going to be balanced to, to adequately reflect that. But in, in the case of China, not only do they not want to balance the table, um, not only do they want to sit at the table and then actually push us out and sit at the end of the table, they want a whole new table. <laughs> so we, you know, the competition that we face with China is real. Um, they, they are able to use their communist system to be able to to get into situations and work with other countries and force them to do things that they, that we would never think of. Um, and we've got to address that. And, but at the same time, we need to work with, with some of these folks, for instance, China, as we address North Korea. So it's not an on-off switch. You know, foreign policy is never an on-off switch. It, 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 there's gray areas, there's mutual things we have to work on, and there's some things we just have to say, no, you can't do that. That is so great. Well, talking about great power competition, you know, one of the things that we should work more is with the allies. And how can we repair, assuming that we have to, our relationship with the international community and actually the face of the United States, if you think? Well, yeah, there's so much work we have to do. You know, my biggest concern, and I always said this, even as it applies to our own government, that we can, you know, four years of Donald Trump, we still have enough expertise within our, within our own institutions that we'll be able to, to, to restore those institutions. I was deathly afraid of another four years. Um, I'm worried about have our allies and partners now reassess the United States. And yes, it's nice that, that Joe Biden is here and it's wonderful that a bunch of pro- professionals are coming, but you know, it's not going to be the same. And maybe they aren't going to embrace us as much. We've got a lot of work to do. We have to rebuild that trust and let them know that, that it's not going to be every other time it's going to be somebody like Donald Trump. The, the Trump administration was an anomaly. We need to convince our allies of that. And the only way we can do that is by, by demonstrating that in our actions, by, by embracing them, by treating them with respect, by listening to them, uh, by deferring to them. Uh, and by working together. And I think, again, I think the foreign policy team that Joe Biden brings with him uh, is up to the task, and they'll be able to do that. Well, our last question, we'll just like to add, we share a passion with you, sir, to help prevent suicides among veterans and improve the, the work the VA is doing on behalf of our veterans. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to tell our listeners in closing? You know, just that... that the, the one, you know, the, the veteran vote went to, shifted towards Obama, by, excuse me, towards Biden by 16%. Uh, 
from what it was before. And it, the gap now was only 54 to 44. It's pretty dang close compared to what it's been. That's because I think veterans recognize the genuineness of, of President-elect Biden and Jill Biden. And they know that, you know, their military parents, their sons were in combat. They know what's associated with having children that were in combat and have to come back. And I know that he is going to put the right people in charge. And he's really going to focus on this with a passion, with a sincere desire to make sure we get this right. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I'll let Alex have the last word. Sir, thank you so much for your time. And with that, we appreciate everything you're doing for your country. Uh, we hope that you have a great Thanksgiving. And again, thank you. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving to both of you and your families as well. Thank you, sir. It was the spotlight with Rio Admiral Smith. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again next week.